This is the Punk Theology Podcast, episode 41. I'm your host, Russ Shaw. Today, Jeff Betka. Pumper I just played was called Girl Song from the Tooth and Nail Days with 90 Pound Wuss is what I'm kicking this here episode off with. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, our theme song, our kick off the show with the angst and the energy and the something must break of it all is also uh, why on today, a true Seattle post rock legend. Something must break, something must break, something must break, yeah. Something must break, something must break, something must break. Jeff, he always tried to ride that fine line between good and evil, uh, you know, angel, devil. Back then, before um, fatherhood and reality kicked in, I think he didn't give a fuck. Things started with the live show getting a lot more um, intense as far as how far they were going to push the boundaries of things. Having strippers on stage, having performance artist dudes eat bananas and throw up while they're eating. And they were breaking out of that like mold that says, this is what Christian music has to sound like. This is what Christians do, even. Our subject matter wasn't always uh, what would fit into a typical mold of what evangelical Christianity said you had to do with their moralism and their legalism and their righteous platitudes. They did not consider themselves heretics or apostates who were coming back into Christianity to mock it and fuck with it. We were much more free in our faith to just be God's kids that were able to do what we wanted. So we were scandalous by nature because we drank and smoked and said fuck and shit and damn and whatever. I've always felt that Wrath of Dead Monkeys was, was a significant happening in Seattle's pop cultural history. They threw this amazing tantrum that basically made me feel a real actual sense of intellectual and spiritual liberation. Sometimes an announcer can get a cue prematurely. He may not be ready for it. Here is an example of the consequences. So saith the shepherd, so saith the flock. This is raft. You better listen up, kid, to what I'm saying. Gotta do what you're told. 
Get as close to your mouth hole as we can. It's all about the mouth hole, Jeff. Oh. <laughs> we are at the Tin Dog Brewery, by the way. In Might my well neighborhood, guys South out. Park in Seattle. That's right. Yes. South Park. Kenny is down the street. I'm drinking Carmen. There's a song that they made with Azaka hops. What are Azaka hops? It's, uh, I think it's from New Zealand. I can't, but it's a, it's a kind of hops. Yeah. Yeah. They're really fruity. Almost pineapple. Oh yeah. yeah. It's tart. Yep. This this tastes like uh, a little bitter. I'm having a black ale. Oh yeah. Which is not a porter. Those are good. No, it's, it's a ale. black ale. But yeah. This will this will take a while. <laughs> this beer right here. So Jeff Becker, we finally got uh, our schedules connected and able to sit you down and, and and have a conversation once again. Hello. You were on another podcast I did. Yes. It's the unspeakable podcast. Why is it this unspeakable? One, <laughs> it's the sex What's podcast. What's wrong with it? Yeah. You're not that's... supposed to talk about sex, Jeff. Okay. Then I won't. <laughs> so I played, right before I had you on, yep. The Magic of Editing, I played the trailer from uh, the film that you were you were a part of, the Rafted Dead Monkeys oh, yeah, film, yeah, yeah, The yeah. Complete History of Seattle. Yeah. And in that trailer, they make you sound like kind of a badass. I don't know. Have you seen the trailer? Uh, yeah, well, I've seen the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the trailer. You yeah. were in the movie. Well, I was interviewed, but I didn't have to watch it, but I did. And that's not everybody who was in it watched it. Right. Some people did not. <laughs> Wait, so it, was it in the Seattle Film Festival? I know there was a controversy no, about it, that. It wasn't. And I don't think it was a controversy as much as they just didn't accept the film. <laughs> <laughs> really? So he was going to put it in the film, though, right? I mean, in the in the in the festival. Well, he, I think he tried. Either he didn't get his deadlines right, or I don't know. I have no, no idea what happened. Yeah, it's I'm not a... easy to put films in film festivals because no. they have all sorts of submissions. Yeah. So yeah. you'd think that this one would be a shoe in but it wasn't. So it wasn't. And they charge money for those things too, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like it's thousands of dollars to be just in the film festival usually. Yeah. With these things. Yeah. So th- this guy. Did, uh, Nick Toady, uh, his production company is called Interesting Productions, and that's where you can see a complete history of Seattle, right? Featuring Raft of Dead Monkeys, or is it the Raft of Dead Monkeys story? Sort of. It's not really a documentary. It's embellished. But anyways, this guy Nick, it's Toady, embellished. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not real. All right. It's sort of our story, but not really. Yeah. It's not really our story at all. <laughs> it just everything's embellished. It's ridiculous, but it's funny. Yeah. Sort of. I don't know if it makes us out to be badasses as much. Is at sometimes misogynist, at sometimes racist. Like it's kind of messed up. It was, it was actually really hard to watch. Anyway, really? anyway, for me, because I, yeah, because all these things, I, I had to, th- I had to internalize a little bit and think about a few things. Yeah. So it uses certain things about the band. Uh, to make the movie a little bit better than our story probably actually is. Right. Which is almost every movie, right? Like yeah. Anytime so. they, they say, this is based on a true story. And that based means that the, that the life of this person really wasn't that interesting, so we made up some shit yeah. to make it more interesting. Well, they also, but, the way that they put things, he, Nick, he's on a shoestring budget. His right. thing's interesting productions. 
he just uh, I don't know how he funded it but he got you know, obviously he flew here because he was living in Texas like Austin and then he moved to LA right. towards the end of this thing but he flew here and filmed us and then he came back here another time and um, he didn't actually have a relationship with any of us until after he was pretty much done editing it or like mostly and then he kind of came up here and stayed at my house and got to know me a little bit at least after the movie was shot and everything yeah before that it was literally we showed up at a hotel room uh-huh. and he interviewed each one of us like that was all I interacted with him at all besides a couple emails right about it yeah what about the scene with uh, like your your guys' girlfriends I think she's Teresa your wife now and and, and uh, when the when the monkey's born Oh yeah, the beginning <laughs> of the video. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, those it's sort of like song remains the but, same. Led Zeppelin meets but those documentary. Those, or? those weren't. Those were just actors playing, <laughs> playing us. Okay. Really? Yeah, we're not in the movie like that. <laughs> Come on, you, you gotta watch the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah there's I all these, watched the movie. So there's all these yeah. artistic pieces that are embellishments, either embellishments of things that we did on stage but the the scenarios that he comes up with were way more interesting and way more controversial than anything we ever did right so but what I think so he was it, interested he's, he's over personifying these pieces that he got actors to play each one of us <laughs> and they're there's no no talking in these pieces. It's just basically art film sections, right? And they're sort of like, like performance art stuff. Yes, but it's it's based off of things that we actually did, right? And then he embellishes the story and makes it ridiculous. Or like the the beginning one was literally uh, two nurses that were dressed up like when we we did the performance art stuff, and there was it was basically first it was uh, Teresa, it was my girlfriend, and this gal named Olivia and this gal named Carrie who were up here, and then later it was Teresa and Laura and Rose and but it, Teresa was always a part of it but they do weird performance art stuff on stage like one time they just held signs that, that were like uh, butter, big butterfly knives that's all that were on them and they looked like they were like zombie nurses basically Right. that's how they dressed and uh, another time they, they stuffed their bellies like they were pregnant and then like had like black eyes and stuff like they were beaten which would insinuate also that we were the ones beating them which, which wasn't the case it was it was another statement but sometimes I'm not quite sure because Olivia came up with some of those and I don't know how much she played on us and our personalities and so this is where it makes us out sort of to be misogynist in the film because they sort of embellish on those those things that we did and that happened and, and sort of today she might have a talk, hashtag talk, me too well yeah talk, talk like these narratives yeah well that's for other reasons we <laughs> talked about that on the other podcast <laughs> that's <more>. right yeah <laughs> that's true oh man yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's a brutal one uh, anyways but the the point was it's not a yeah he just basically made these great artistic pieces about that they're completely fabricated and fictional, right? And these actors who played it—it's pretty funny. Yeah, uh, it's it's it's. And uh, then naming the film "The Complete History of Seattle" is just yeah, like the cherry on top. The complete history of Seattle—it's pretty funny. So there's there's some stuff about that film that is really great, 
because it's so bizarre and totally well, What I think that hilarious. he was interested in you for is because you were like, I mean, there's all this talk of deconstruction today, right? And you guys were deconstructionists before it was cool. Now it's kind of cool, but you, you guys were doing it before. I mean, you're, you're part of the Christian music scene. Well, the only person who would have said anything, like the word deconstructionist, probably would have been Matt, so. Yeah? Yeah. But whatever. So let's get to how you started the band. So you grew up in the peninsula. Well, and Raft, those, Raft of Dead Monkeys was, was something started else. out of 90 Pound Wuss yeah, like after yeah. we broke up. And so Roadside Monument had broken up and uh, Jonathan was going to go on to, Jonathan was a, so Roadside Monument and 90 Pound Wuss were really interconnected. I used to tour with Roadside and was sold their merch and helped get their gear ready and stuff. And, um, you know, me and John Spalding, who was in 90 Pound Wuss, we both played in, um, in on a roadside records a little bit like right. one track here or whatever and then so and I, I we lived together me John John Spalding and John Ford and Matt and Doug somehow we were always our lives were intertwined and somebody was living with somebody we were we were all together all the time so right. um so that's at the beginning, right? Like when you when you started 90 Pound Wuss? No, this is... I thought we were talking about Rafted in Monkeys. No, we're going back so, to the beginning now, Jeff. So you want me to revert? Well, hold on. Let me tell you. Reverse. So Raft came out of 90 Pound Wuss. Right. That's Raft was saying. birthed out of 90 Pound Wuss. And, and Raft was Roadside Monument and 90 Pound Wuss fused together. Basically. Oh, I see. Okay. Now, so, did Roadside Monument, did they have a, a, a deal with like Tooth & Nail Records? Oh, yeah. They're, they're like the best band that was on Tooth & Nail. Them and Frodo's. Oh, right. Zayo. Right. Was MXPX not? Were they on? Yeah, MXPX was on Tooth and Nail. Okay. Yeah, we used to tour with MXPX. Ninety Pound Wolf did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You were on uh, Mike's Thanks. Mike's podcast. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, man. Hey, uh, what was your name? Eric. Eric. Eric is uh, is the guy who curates the Tin Dog down here at South Park. Yeah. Kind of giving you a, a shout out on owner the, on and the, brewmaster. Owner yeah. and brewmaster. Thanks, man. Anyway. He just delivered me a pizza. He did. He just brought you a, a pizza that's about the size of a about the size of a, a record. Suppose we come back to you in uh, in uh, just a moment or two. While that's happening, check out this track from Jeff's current project. From Jeff's current project, dried bones and dried and dry dry bones. That's D R Y B N Z. Dry bones. With Portland's own Chow You, you're listening to Punk Theology.
That track was called Church Non Church by Dry Bonds. Now back to Russ and Jeff at the Tin Dog Brewery. All right. So, so you want to start with ninety pound? Whiskey. I want to. I want to start. Well, we started with Raft, but I want to go back. I'm curious about how you played in in churches, right? Punk rock in churches on the peninsula. How did this whole thing start, Jeff? Let's let's get into that. What got you interested in punk rock in the first place? Well, I always liked music as a kid growing up, and so I'd listen to the radio and all the new wave that was happening in the 80s. I liked a lot of it. Um, obviously, it was all that I could really hear because it was on the radio. Duran Duran, aha, whatever. Um, in... Was it middle school or high school? It would have been middle school. My neighbor started getting into. Um, her name was Carrie, uh-huh. and her and uh, her she was older, and she had a little brother that was my age named Lyle. But Carrie started getting into some music like uh, Motley Crue and ACDC and stuff, and. One week they showed that to me, and then by the next week I started. I, so I heard Motley Crue, Girls, Girls, Girls. That's what it. She made me a cassette tape of that, uh-huh. and played me some ACDC. And I thought, wow, this is really great. Because back then that stuff really wasn't on the radio. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was still Aha and, and uh, Duran Duran and all that stuff. Right. Later they would be on the radio, obviously. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So I thought it was pretty cool, and then. Within a week, somebody else said, oh, you like rock and roll? Why don't you check out this? And they gave me a... I think it was my friend Cody. He killed himself, but um, when I was in middle school. But, uh, I think it was him who gave me this cassette tape that had Sex Pistols, Nevermind the Bullocks on one side and Slayer, Rain, and Blood on the other. And uh, So this must have been whenever Slayer, Rain, and Blood came out. I think it was right. their latest album. Date or something like that? Yeah, Day that seven, sounds about like right. That. Yep. Sometime between 86 and 90. So I'm, what, 14 or 15 probably? Same age as my high school daughter right now. Anyway, I uh, I just freaked out. And Slayer was great, but I fell in love with the Sex Pistols. Yeah. Like, from the beginning of that record. And then he starts just screaming the Berlin Wall. And then, you know, it comes on and their bodies, like, I'm not an animal. (laughs) And it seems like this anti-abortion song. Uh And it's like totally in the middle of like uh, anarchy in the UK and like God Save the Queen. Which was banned in the UK. Where he's yelling. Like the end, he's just saying, no future for you. (laughs) And uh, somehow it just hit me and it was like I teared up and found home, found heaven. <laughs> it was wonderful. I, I loved it. Yeah. And uh, so, what is this? It's punk rock. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, I had started shortly thereafter. I was I got way into skateboarding, uh-huh. like within the same year. And skateboarding is like an open world into punk rock, especially oh, yeah. at that time, like because they they have those Thrasher magazine compilations and every skate video. All the Bones Brigade videos that punk rock bands playing, like everything. So, and then you know, I just naturally got into Minor Threat, got into Circle Jerks, were like my favorite band for a long time. I love the Circle Jerks; they're so good. Nice. And then um, you know, I fell in love with Dead Kennedys. Um, 
Totally blown away. Pretty much the only record I think I had was Gimme Convenience and Gimme Death and Plastic Surgery Disasters. And then In God You Trust Incorporated. So I had this like, uh, all this anarchism and all this like fuck religion. And you know, I mean, they got Dead Kennedys has that religious vomit song. But yet I, my parents had me, um, they became Christians when I was, they were pregnant with me. Uh, so I grew up sort of in an evangelical independent church. And I remember early on really resonating with, with there being a God, for one. Uh-huh. And and I used to have some really vivid dreams about my thoughts of what God would be like. And it was sort of reoccurring. And so I believed there was God. And then in, in uh, um, Christianity, I remember really resonating with the story of Jesus as God. And, you know, early on, like five years old, praying the sinner's prayer, accepting him in my heart and all that stuff. Right. So right. that was always a part of my life. And so discovering punk rock did not in my head clash with any of that because here's these people being brutally honest right yeah and hollering and uh-huh. to me that felt like the Jesus that I had read about all, all my life yeah, yeah. they're when telling you like it is yeah so it's not the Jesus I grew up with <laughs> Yeah. I, I grew, but I think in recovery I, I met that Jesus. For, for me, when I, you know, was trying to get cleaned up off the drugs and not killing myself, it wasn't a part of the religious system that I was grew up with. Yeah. But the, my ideas of Christ yeah. never really conflicted with punk rock. Right. Like we had Pete Rollins on. He talked about Christianity being the anti-religion. So Christianity, Jesus was kind of punk rock, right? I mean. If you look at the Pharisees and the religious elites of the day and the religious establishment, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's, that's the story. I would have definitely said that at some point in my life and agreed with that statement. I don't know what I... I don't really think of it that much that way now, but... Um, yeah. But definitely then, it resonated with me. And then, you know, all the people, since I got into punk rock and skateboarding, it was before Nirvana was popular, so this was before... Whatever, 19. When did Nirvana? It was in 1990? Yeah. Yeah, so. Was it that late? Was it? No, I think it was 90 or 91. Bleach, when Bleach came out and all that. Before? No, no, when Never Mind, when it smells like Never Mind. Yeah, Yeah. I think that was 90. It might have been 91. Something like that. I graduated in 93 and I was definitely at least a junior, so. So you must have, yeah. It was probably 91. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the year they say, according to that film, the year punk broke. Right. So, um, or oh, the year punk broke. I've, I've not seen Sonic this. Youth. Oh, okay. And Nirvana. I think it's them on tour. I haven't seen it either. The year punk. 1991. Broke. The year punk broke. Yeah, yeah. So it must have been 91. That's when Dave Grohl joined Nirvana. Because before, before Nevermind, it was uh, another dude that ended up leaving the band. Yeah, it's a documentary of the Nirvana World, uh, European tour with Sonic Youth. I'm pretty sure it was Sonic Youth. Maybe it wasn't a Sonic Youth, but it's Nirvana. But anyway, so 91. So before 91, every day of my life was basically defending myself from rednecks somehow. Yeah. And, 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 uh, church people. So I would go to youth, I would go to a youth group, basically, and like, um, I got along with everybody just fine, but, you know, they'd always, like, think something about my music or my skateboarding or my hair or something. Yeah. And I'd go to, um, and it wasn't everybody, but there was always a group, and then I'd go skate around downtown and whatever, and Port Angeles is where I grew up. It's a small town on the Olympic Peninsula. Yeah. 
And I have to defend myself from people calling me skater faggot all the time. Yeah. That was it. Like, heck, faggot. They, they, that's, that was like the thing rednecks did for some reason. Right. So, basically, I resonated with the punks and the skateboarders more. Yeah. Naturally, because that became my people. Right. A little bit more than the Christians. Yeah. So. Me too. I so feel you. That's basically... Most of my life was spent always... Uh, uh, too Christian for the non-Christians and not Christian enough for the Christians basically is how I boiled down to in their heads so I spent most of my life in that dichotomy so nothing really like I don't have some thing to fill I just liked what I liked and it wasn't so anyways 90 pound was eventually like it's it basically started as um, a way to sort of do well me and Marty the drummer the first day Marty shows up he moved up to Port Angeles from California uh-huh. and the first day he showed up to school they bring him into art class and we're in art class and he had just gotten to school and he's coming into art class and he had these purple pointy Doc Martens on yeah a pure shirt and um like tighter like stretched pants so he looked freaking goth right and uh me and Mickey, my, my best friend, Mickey played, we were in the drum line, and we played in the marching band, and Mickey was a year older than, or two years older than me in school, so he would have been a senior and I was a sophomore, but we were in the same art class too, and drums, we were like best friends, and um, we were in the same kind of stuff, pretty much goth, and punk, but a lot of goth by then. And then uh, Marty walks in and we're just like, because there's like nobody in our school who's in that shit but us, right? Like, right. like a few people. And we're like, oh my gosh. And so we instantly, like Mickey gets up and has Marty come down. And so me and Marty instantly, like he's, we called ourselves the Three Shadows after the Three Shadows, the Bauhaus song. And was, we were pretty much inseparable. Yeah. Um, so we hung out and so Marty and I knew each other from ever and me and, and Marty was a Christian and Marty was a freaking drummer too so the next time he joined the percussion class like in the next day he's in percussion with us so here's the thing all three of us Mickey wasn't a Christian but me and Marty were so me and Marty got way tighter on some of that stuff but um, and we were the, exactly the same grade like I think our birthdays are a month apart or something so it was awesome so we were way up goth and punk rock and we'd fluctuate between being more goth and more punk and one week we'd be straight edge and like riding on our hands and stuff and ride our skateboard so we were like this weird goth punk um, Christian skateboarding sometimes straight edgers yeah and then you know one of us would like get drunk or like smoke weed or something stupid and then we put man I lost my head dude and it had only been like what like two weeks or a month or something so we really liked um, you know Fugazi Minor Threat and all that kind of stuff and then we really liked Bauhaus and The Cure so and we were always together inseparable he's my best friend yeah and it's weird to think about and talk about it because I, I never really do that much but that dude yeah he's my best friend we went I mean we did we were into all the same stuff everything yeah it's pretty interesting that's kind of cool yeah so um it was meant to be yeah so we had uh, this band called Systematic in high school that was a goth band and my wife was in it too she played keyboards yeah 
It had like a three other goth kids in the school were in the band too. <laughs> the other three. It'd be hard to get the other people to show up, but you can be all the uh, the punk and goth kids are at the in the band, right? <laughs> there was more than that, but there but like the me and this kid named Sage and this guy named Drew. Drew pretty much hooked it up and started it. Between me, Drew and Marty. And then um, Teresa was in it, and uh, later this guy Greg Wyman and this guy Jesse Garlic who played violin. But it was basically Marty on drums, either Greg Wyman or uh, Sage was his name, um, on bass. Oh, and James Parks, our good friend James Parks, he later played, he played guitar. Um, so there would be that, and then Jesse on violin, but the, it was, I played these garbage cans that we made. We made this industrial drum set, basically, out of lead pipe, or steel pipe garbage cans, um, a big old saw blade on a cymbal stand, um, a, like a rotary saw blade? Yeah, like a rotary oh, nice. saw blade. Uh, all sorts of stuff, but it was all this industrial drum set that we hauled around, and we <laughs> performed with that and Marty on his drum set. Right. Did you ever cut yourself on it or anything? Nah, but it was pretty sharp. <laughs> so... We were doing that, and then when we were done, Marty was kind of, we kind of drifted apart for a little bit in some ways. Um, he got way more into, I was getting more into goth, and he was getting more into like punk and the Beastie Boys and rap and stuff. And, and um, we still skateboarded, and we still liked each other and hang out. It just wasn't as frequent. There used to be this place in town called the Narrow Gate, and it was like a church ministry in the basement of a church right you could go hang out there all night um and this guy who used to work at the Salvation Army running another thing that was pretty similar so it was just kind of an open place for kids to just yeah, hang he, out yeah he started working at this church and he was doing it there and they make you pray and stuff or sometimes bring out Bibles yeah I mean yeah every once in a while there'd be stuff but there was a bunch of music gear and they'd let us practice there and stuff oh, so cool. We would play music there, but anyways, this guy, uh, this other guy moved back into town. His family lived here. We were friends with his little brother. His name is John Hamelberger. Um, his little brother is Jason Hamelberger. And John was a little older than us by two or three years, maybe four. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he played guitar. And there was this friend of mine who I knew before, Marty, um, who lived in Port Angeles that rode a skateboard named Matt Nelson. And... Uh, John and Marty had been hanging out with Matt a lot, and Matt apparently became a Christian, so they started this band with him, and they were doing like a Bible study, and me and Marty and John were already playing together and something else, and those two sort of started this other thing with Matt, because what we were sort of doing, we called ourselves Hacking Egg Egg, and it was me, Marty, and John Hamelberger, and I was playing bass, and we were more like a... We were trying to be, you know, Fugazi, like, Sunny Day Real Estate sort of wannabe band. Yeah. And uh, I was into that. Even though I was into goth, I liked a lot of that kind of more uh, emotional, hardcore stuff then. And uh, as well. 
I would have rather been playing in Bauhaus or whatever. Right. Yeah. Bauhaus. We were doing that, and then um, they started playing with Matt, sort of as a way where they could just like hang out, read the Bible, and like, pray, and like right. play music. Dude, so John just, was more religious kind of a dude, or uh, we were all Christians. Right. But Matt was a uh, sort of new to that, and he didn't know anything about it, and his parents weren't. And so it was almost like this sort of weird ministry for Matt. Yeah. In some way, and then I was just like, "You should have me singing." So they were, "Well, we want to be a really like punk rock band, you know, like fast and right, you know." And I'm like, "That's fine. I like that stuff. I grew up listening to it." Yeah, yeah. just because I'm into goth and, and industrial and weird shit now, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily the only thing I liked. So yeah, that's what we did. Something must break, by the way, is the uh, the lead-in music to this podcast. <laughs> nice, I did not know that. Like every episode? Not every episode, no. But most episodes. Because that's kind of the idea. Something must break and we're, we're kind of talking about that. What's going on in the culture and, and you know, stuff like that's that. That's one of the very few political songs I've ever written. Oh, yeah? Because that's kind of what it's about. Yeah. Politics, I think. How is it about politics? In this country ruled by hate, there's no way out you can't escape. I don't even remember all the lyrics, but it <laughs> definitely starts with in this country ruled by hate. It's about it's about the America, right, and where we live, right, right, and like how something must be. like it's funny because I'm not a fan of uh, President Trump, but however, if there was certain other things about him, the one thing that I do always resonate is the destruction of the U.S. government. Like I'm an anarchist. Yeah. Since the first day that I heard what anarchy was from listening to John and Rotten say, I am an anarchist, I am an antichrist. Yeah. I know what I want and I know how to get it. I want to destroy passers by. I was like, what the fuck is that? What is anarchy? Right. And then when I started looking into it, it felt always felt more and more Christian. Yeah. It felt it resonates with me more and more in my faith. Unarchy, no hierarchy. Like it, it, I think Christ leveled the playing field, and there literally is no male nor female, nor slave nor free, nor Greek nor Jew right. in Christ Jesus. And I, I believe that in a literal way. Right. I believe in a very literal way that in the Old Testament when Israel wanted a king, and God kept telling them no, and they did it anyways. Right. And He said, "Fine, do what you want. You're going to do it anyway." I think it's because the problems are exactly what God said. They're going to have to sacrifice this and give this to them and basically pay taxes. Right. I don't think it's the way the, the way that we're a fully realized um, human and created in the image of God is supposed to live with the hierarchy of government that lords over you and forces you to give them money right. in order to pay their salaries and fund war. That's my. I'm literally a culprit to murder because... I willingly pay my taxes because I live in this country. Yeah. Well, it's not just willingly if you don't pay your taxes. I remember, I think it was Bill Clinton that said taxes were contributions. Well, if you like the inside of a cell, if you don't contribute, right? Because if you don't pay your taxes, someone's going to show up with a gun eventually and seize property or, or yes. something like that. Yeah. Pro you'd probably get put in a box, but 
I still don't have to pay them. It's still my choice. Yeah. I do not have to pay my taxes. Yeah. And I will have to reap the benefits of not paying my taxes, which will be going to jail. Yeah. So, so I don't I don't believe that the government should exist because all it exists for is to lord over people with violence to force them to bend to its will. And I think that that is antichrist. So, and I think Christ makes that clear. There's a few other passages in scripture that I've resonated with as somebody who's an anarchist. But so those things never conflicted to me. Right. Um, the my idea with Sid Vicious, who is maybe on the religion fence. So for a lot of people, they see Christ as the as the figure of religion or organized religion. But if you read the story, like he was killed by organized religion, right? Or established institutional religion. Yeah. That's the way I read it. Either way, that's the interesting thing about it. Those are the the Jesus that I resonate with is much different than the American evangelical Christian Jesus. And it always was, even throughout my time at Mars Hill for years, even though that became everything that I despise. Right. I, I also was duped by the the ideas of being pure and holy in a in a very religious manner of performing this way and receiving these benefits. I was duped by it on a bigger level than politics, but I still never voted and I never thought conservative um, politics, although the thing I end up resonating with a lot with is libertarianism, but it's not anarchism. I'm more extreme than a libertarian, and I would rather not fund wars in people's pocketbooks yeah. or pharmaceutical companies to get you know ridiculous laws passed or whatever. I would rather have it go towards the homeless. So, in that way, I resonate, you know, and help people. I just end up resonating in a lot of ways with more people who claim to be Democrats. But when it comes to the lack of government control, I would want less government control and less government taxes, which Me too. I end up re- resonating with people that oftentimes are radically right. right. So I'm neither a left or a right person. I'm an anarchist. I used to be a card-carrying Republican back when I was... Uh, an entrepreneur figured, and, and this was sort of the thing I believe too, Jeff, is that I, 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 I cleaned up myself from my chemical romances. I got off the drugs. I got off of drinking myself unconscious. So I, I was patting myself on the back and saying that that I, I did that. And then I started my own business. And you know those lazy people aren't going to take what's mine or whatever, right? So I became kind of a, a Christian conservative, card-carrying Republican. But then over the years, I realized that the Republicans are just like the Democrats in the way that they're not really, they're not for the little guy. Like, they're not for the entrepreneur. Like, if you're coming up against a big corporation, they're going to give more bennies to the big corporation to shut down the little guys because they're a threat to the to the machine, right? So they're both sort of on the side of the machine as far as I politically, you know, Republicans, Democrats, are. that's what's wrong with this country is that the two-party system that doesn't allow for someone, you know, with real ideas to... You have to play by their game. You have to play by their rules to rise up in that either Democrat and or Republican. I tend to both think that they're same. They, they have the, they're on the same plane, so it's flying the same way. One's one wing and one's another wing. They're all going to end up with more government control of your life in some way. That's right. One of them wants to get rid of things that benefit the small man. Like the Republicans really do want to get rid of that stuff. They, 
they all the time, but they'll do it to benefit small business owners. They'll they'll do things that will might benefit business a little in general. Bit. Yeah, a yeah. little bit. But the Trump's usually, tax cut did that yeah. a little bit. So the tax cuts are a different. The tax cuts come because they're laws and the processes. They they don't want. They want big business to not have any. Yeah. So they don't want an EPA. They don't want shit like that. But yet the uh, Democrats, they want a bigger government that's more controlling and um, legislates more things that are more beneficial to the common man. On the outside, that's what it looks like. Right. But I am very suspicious, and I think that both parties are actually looking out for the rich, too. Yeah, me too. I somehow feel that way. Yeah, yeah. And I could be wrong. Democrats love taxes, and if you can pay your taxes, that's great. So let's let's benefit the guys who can pay the taxes. So some anarchists get involved politically. I don't. I yeah. choose to abstain from it because I might have opinions about things and ideas and concepts. No, you can be. A, I, bl- a lot I of believe people that. who are anarchists like actually uh, vote and participate. Yeah. And there's a good, good reason why they do it. Yeah. They're just not me. Yeah. I'm me. Yeah. I do what I do, and I have convictions for it and reasons why. And it's not just. I, I was laughing about the laziness of it because that's how most people perceive it. Yeah. For me, it's a statement about my real belief system. I'm not a part of this. Right. I can live if it's communist, if it's a democracy, if it's a dictatorship, whatever. My king's not of this this planet, and I don't I don't I don't care who's king. Right. Although, like, I know certain things that are more beneficial to human beings in general. I go for those, and I lean towards those, and I, I, I would say and, and support those sort of organizations. And I do think that it's pretty obvious the Re- Republican Party is not has nothing to do with Christianity like they claim. Yeah. And it never has no. to me as an anarchist. None of them do. No. So, American evangelicalism is just another form of, of the, the Pharisee, you know. Yeah. My friend John says, it's uh, part of our, our punk theology group there, is, you know, the more the more you follow Jesus, the more uh, you're too you're too liberal for your conservative friends, and too conservative for your liberal friends. <laughs> like, there's, like there's something to like that. Punk rock analogy. <laughs> yeah. Not Christian enough, too Christian. That's right. Yeah. You're too uh, not Christian enough for the rednecks, and too Christian for the for the atheists, which is a good place to be, I think. That's where I feel oddly more comfortable today. I have a hard time with with people of uh, who are religious professionals, and, and I appreciate I appreciate the ones that are doing you know changing things and changing the game and stuff like that. But there's still a part of me that's like Ugh, you know I don't know what to do with that sometimes. I like talking about 90 pound wolves. <laughs> yeah, all right. Let's go back to 90 pound wolves. Oh, yeah, I'd rather tell something more chronological, I guess. Yeah, let's go back to let's go back to that bad place. Well, let's pause it. I want to get another beer. Now for a bumper from Sick and You're Wrong, a song by 90 pound wolves. Yeah, that's why they believe That's what those big drugs go ahead and set out 
conversation. I like having yeah, conversations. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with the question. That so the question, the question that I had was, you signed a record deal with Tooth and Nail Records. So how did that go down? Like, what you you signed a record deal with? This uh, dude. So we started playing these shows. We Tooth and Nail started. MXPX was, I think, not on the band, but every or on the label yet. But everybody knew that they were uh, being quartered by them. There was a show that somebody we knew put together in. Port Townsend, Washington. Right. This is MXPX. all still happening on the peninsula. Yeah, and I think my band, I was in a band that was just me and my friend James and a drum machine, and Teresa was in it too, uh-huh. and we were called This Suffering because we had, there you go. We had, that's when we came up with the, the stage names. I was Jeff Suffering, mm-hmm. and um, that's when it stuck. You're so. still Jeff Suffering on Twitter, right? Yeah, in a lot of places. And yeah. even in my band Dry Bones, I'm Jeff Suffering. Jeff Suffering. Which is Dry Bones, D-R-Y-B-N-Z. Yeah. We have a Bandcamp page. You can buy our songs. Oh, cool. There you go. For a dollar each. Um, anyway. Yeah, so we were playing shows. Somehow somebody did that show. We met a bunch of people. Uh, I think This Suffering played because I was still doing that. And I think we were doing 90 Pound Wuss too. I don't remember exactly how it went. But eventually 90 Pound Wuss ends up playing shows with MXPX. Right. And, um, you guys toured around the yeah, country? Yeah, we, we did two tours with MXPX around the country. All right. I'm pretty sure two. Did you go outside the U.S.? We or? did one for sure. Uh, no, not with them. We okay. did, actually, we we only went to Canada a couple times, but um, we were we were talking about going to Europe, and then we pretty much broke up. So, um, But yeah, so we, uh, we played this show in Olympia at the Capitol Theater backstage and Brandon came out to see us. I think we were playing with Behead the Prophet and the Lord Shall Live who became really close friends of ours at one point, like the singer Joshua and, and me. I really, really love him. He's, he's one of my favorite people in the world and yeah. really good friend. But they were... Uh, uh, so I think we played with them. Joshua ended up coming on tour with 90 Pound Wuss um, on our last tour that we did. Um, but um, anyways, we... Uh, played that show and I, Brandon was there and he talked to us and he liked us and um, so he, he put us on a compilation which is where we did responsibility on I think it was called I'm Your Biggest Fan and it was a comp of a bunch of Seattle bands that uh, could be on Tooth and Nail because they were Christians or whatever Right. and so that's uh that was pretty much that. After but we were on that comp, and they Christian, tried us. You, it wasn't Christian music, right? Yeah, Tooth and Nail was Christian. Well, I know, but but it's not like Christian material. Like these aren't songs about Jesus. Some <laughs> or, of them were. Some we of wrote them were. a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. Like I did. Uh, a lot of people did. Um, they, if you're saying uh, it was known and stigmatized as a Christian record label, if right. you're saying were the bands worship bands, no. Did the bands uh, were they CCM bands, no. Did the bands have artistic license to sing about what they wanted, yes. Did we have artistic license to say fuck shit, damn cunt, this, whatever, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. They, they controlled that to an extent uh-huh. because of the market that they were in. Exactly. They were in Christian bookstores and yeah. Not because Brandon cared. Right. But it was more of a sales and relationships with distributors and stuff. Right. Yeah. You were in Relevant Magazine for uh, the 90s influential punk bands or something like that? I think we were on 
the one top of, one 10 of those. something like I don't that. I think it was the top 10. It might have been top like 20. Top 100, man. <laughs> no, it was remember. it was up there, man. You were pretty. You guys were pretty far up there. We were one of them, apparently. But I don't. I remember one guy saying something like, uh, "It was cool to go to the Christian bookstore and buy something with the word wuss in it." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the but the music like did 90 pound wuss have songs about Jesus? Oh yeah, that first record almost all about Jesus. Oh yeah, yeah. Like name one. Uh, but it wasn't worse. Shedding worship. blood. Shedding blood. Okay. That was that was uh, a responsibility. Uh, even the girl song I think mentions Christ. Um, right. There was. Um, but look at Metallica. Metallica did Creeping Death. I mean that song is about. You know it's yeah, a, it's I'm, about we weren't Metallica. And, I'm not gonna... <laughs> no, but it's funny that Metallica could have been on Tooth and Nail, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. that, maybe that song. Maybe that song yeah, would have made it. Uh, I'm sure that they, if they wanted to be on Tooth the Nail, I'm sure that would have happened. No problem. Right. Um, if I could remember those songs. But um, what's the first song? Uh, you tell me that you can't do it. I tell you Christ can. You say you've seen too much. I say Christ has seen more, man. I'm not better than anybody else. I never said that I was. I'm not better than anybody else. I'm just a bit, 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 bit better off. Just a bit better off. So keep trying. Perseverance builds character. Um, fight. Uh, whatever. It recites that verse. There's like verses all over that record. That's that's. Oh, nice. Like the whole record's like almost. Yeah. It's very. Yeah, I don't have it. But anyways, almost. And that's, that's the first. I mean, record. that's just starting. That's the start. And then the second record had quite a few I mean there's a song called Legalism that we did that's like all about I mean most of the songs I think were about Christianity right some were about Christ okay but most were about Christianity and like problems with the church that are messed up like uh, things like legalism do that, yeah like legalism yeah, yeah. And, and like like things from my Christian anarchist perspective about the government that we we live under and exist under that there was it was all like it was all from a perspective like the girl songs like all about I, what does it say I thank you Jesus for giving me such a blessing She's the most beautiful to me, full of intelligence. You see, God has given her to me. Yeah, and forever we will be. Yeah. Try to love you, girl, because you're my God-given girly. Like, right. like, it's a ridiculous pop punk song, and it's about <laughs> Teresa. And oh, nice. Like, like, that's what it's about. And I, and I like it's from that perspective, and it's pretty blatant and obvious. Right. The the second record, not so much. Um, but it all was. Yeah. I think Teresa and I had broken up at that time too, so there was some of that, like oh, right. tortured, like young man who isn't with the girl <laughs> of his dreams anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, shorthand operation. The last record was much more subdued in, um, like everything being uh, literally about something. Really? There's a lot more metaphor and allegory for emotion relationship. There's a few stories on there. Okay. There's a few stories, but they got a little bit darker and they got a bit a li- little bit more like honest. Right. And they got a little bit more like internal. And um, you know, I think I was like probably listening to a lot of Joy Division and the Birthday Party at that time when we wrote that last record. Right. And the lineup had changed in the band, so it was just me and Marty left. And uh, you know, that was the only one that so. The second record 
we went through a myriad of bass players. Matt ended up leaving, and a bunch of people were in. Then the second record, um, halfway through writing it, we already had the date booked on the, to go into the studio to record it. And this is where Meager Die of Self-Interest is the name of the album. We already had it booked in the studio, and John quit and he would have rather John Hamelberger and he would have rather had somebody like we talked about it and he wanted somebody else to help us continue to write the rest of the songs right. he wasn't going to do it so because um, we didn't have enough songs and so we still had to write some and, um, <laughs> so I had worked on a bunch of ideas so my ideas started coming before it was all their ideas and I just wrote lyrics musically right. on the first record and a lot of it came from John Hamelberger and Matt Nelson who both suddenly weren't in the band so you can hear the change in progression but John Hamelberger played half the songs on Where Meager Die of Self-Interest and John Spalding played the other half because I, I, I met him he played at I lived in this house with the roadside guys called the, the Hiawatha House a lot of bands played there Murder City Devils played there but um, there's a lot of bands played there and John was in this band called um, en Enlist I believe yeah they were called Enlist and they played there um, and uh so I met him and really liked him and we gelled really well and he was in Disneyland and I kept calling him I left him like 20 messages that week <laughs> like I was desperate right he had one thing he had told me was that he always wanted to record at Robert Lang Studios when we had met when we were talking and right well here we are like we, we have Robert Lang Studios booked so I'm like this oh, no. guy will definitely want to play guitar and his band Enlist was a little bit like Sunny Day Real Estate or something uh -huh. and I liked that music um, so you did a 90 pound Woods album at Lang's we did, we did two of them that was our second oh, one wow. the first yeah. one was at Lang and the yeah. second one was two which was ridiculous to do the first one in three days at Robert Lang Studios that's dumb right. like we should have been somewhere way cheaper we spent way too much money but it, it was fun so right. I gotta do that and then it's um, a brand is money well it's a tooth and the label yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so yeah. it's not his personal <laughs> no, I mean, although he started you can watch that. you can watch the tooth and nail documentary um, oh I can't remember it it's on the tip of my tongue but whatever the, the guys who made it I don't know all them and they did a really great job making it's basically the Brandon Evil documentary okay um, more than about tooth and nail it seems to be more, mostly about Brandon's journey with tooth and nail right but the beginning so the, the it started with him getting a loan from his grandfather so it did start off his family's money right um and that was really cool. His grandfather and Brandon paid him back. He paid him back all, all the money he owed him. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but anyways, you can see that on the Tooth and Nail documentary. So, right. Um, something story. Uh, a new kind of story. That's what it's called. Which is, I think, a Joy Electric song. Oh yeah. But um, yeah. So anyways, but they, uh, yeah, so we did that, recorded those records, and the second one, Spalding and me and Marty, and I think Dale Yob might have been playing bass for us then, yeah, and he, we got together and started writing, finishing writing for the record, yeah. and um, we did that, and we recorded it, and then John Spalding was our guitar player, and uh, so the last record that we did was me and Marty and John Spalding writing as a three-piece. We didn't have a bass player. We were well. Matt Johnson was playing bass for us live. He, he was a good friend. He was the drummer of Roadside. He always wanted to play bass in a band, and so um, we were going through bass players. I asked him to play with us, and he said yes, and so he did. But I was also a bass player, and I've had a bass forever, and was always playing bass. 
like I said, when 95 was started with me and John Hamelberger and Marty, before they hooked up with Matt, we were in that hacky and egg band and I was playing bass. So right. I started writing. Some of the songs were brought to the table that I'd showed Dale on bass for the second record where Meager Dive Self-Interest, a few of the songs. I'd show Dale the song and then he'd play the bass line and then Spalding would write guitar parts and Marty the drums and all that and then I'd write my vocals. So some of the songs on where Meager Dive Self-Interest I wrote. Okay. Um, we always collaborated on them. But was that the last album? That was the second. Second, But okay. usually most of the people would um, come... And with either a full song or most of a song written, and then we'd help finish it out together. How many people were in Ninety Pound West then? Well, there was a bunch, but there, there was all—it was always a um, four-piece. Okay. There's always a guitar, like player, a rotating player, a drummer, and uh, me. No, it wasn't rotating. There was two guitar players: John Spal- Hamelberger on the okay. first record, and half the second, and John Spalding on the half the second in the last. There was a rotating bass lineup. That's the thing that kept on disappearing. Right. We kept on losing. We were losing bass players like Spinal Tap lost drummers. So it, right. it was. At least they were dying. Yeah. At least they weren't spontaneously combusting. That's good. Yeah. No, that's like, yeah. That's right. But we had um. So on that record, there was. I hadn't written anything on the first other than lyrics, and we had. This was before we were signed, so we weren't intending. We were hoping to get signed, and we wanted to, but I had no idea. Like, I didn't never put out an album before, so on anywhere and recorded in a good studio. So I had no idea. Like when we were writing those songs, we were screwing most of them. Some of them were written after we got signed, and we had a few to finish. But most of them were written as we were hanging out together, having a Bible study, and then we'd play music. And so most right. of what was on my mind while writing and crafting lyrics for the songs, because I wouldn't come with a stack of lyrics, I'd do it as we were playing. Right. Um, that's that's what it was. Right. It was based on what we were thinking and doing. And later, I started writing words down that were much more poetic and that I'd edit before I'd show up to a rehearsal and I'd start writing music of my own and putting it to pieces together. And I had a big notebook that I'd draw from when someone would bring a new song in that I'd look and start editing words to fit to that song. So different processes for the second two records and different motivations and reasons because suddenly we're people are listening to our music and so we change drastically from the first to the second and second to the third right i see it as a pretty big evolution into me having more influence in the music writing of the band right um but simultaneously and, and so did got John a little more so did marty a little we more Marty and melodic, dark and more, right? more postponed towards towards the no, end we got more goth <laughs> goth yeah there you go yeah we were like way we more artistic from, we were po- post-punk you in went a from lot of speed ways. punk to well we were still always fast yeah it was fast that was the weird thing about 90 Pound Wuss is we had keyboards on the last album well on the second but the last one was fully keyboards all over the place and these huge massive sounds and we were like a uh, a speed skate punk band that wanted to be Joy Division basically (laughs) something like that your influence well we were inspired just as much by punk rock yeah 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 all of it exactly so we ended up with a unique sound whereas at the beginning we just sounded like the Vindictives or um, 
a crusty version of Screeching Weasel. Like there was a million bands that sounded like '95. Yeah, yeah. The thing that made us different was that we had a faith in Christ and talked about it. That that made us a lot different. Right. We weren't the greatest. We didn't. But by the time we were done, I still have not to this day heard any band that sounds like that last record we did. No. Yeah. Yeah. I can hear my influences and some of John's influences and some of Marty's influences on that record, but I don't. I don't know. I know sort of the genre that we were starting to play shows with and the bands we were starting to play with. Like you know, we were there like at the Blood Brothers first show. I mean, they, they were our friends and we played yeah. with them a lot. We played with. I never went influenced by somebody. I mean, yeah, but those. The, yeah, but our peers. We were playing more like with bands like that, like right. the Blood Brothers and Botch and uh, you know like sort of post-hardcore scene yeah. um, we were playing that's that's what we fit into we played with the Locust quite a few times we you know 90 Pound Wuss was in a more like punk hardcore scene than we were in the Christian music scene by the time we were done yeah, yeah. And that which was is good one of the reasons that we and you weren't always received well by Christians either. No, no. We were kicked off of stages. We were uh, prayed over. People tried to cast demons out of us. <laughs> Tell one of those stories. You had somebody try to cast demons out of you? At a yeah, church we were in Texas at a church. Yeah, because the first number of tours we played, like, they were... Um, you know, half of the shows... Well, the first tour we did nationally was with MXPX, and that was great. We played yeah. a lot of Christian shows then still, but um, yeah. a lot of just regular venues. And MXPX had just come out with Teenage Politics. Yeah. So we were on, I think, the Teenage Politics tours. I think that what we were on with them. And we got to be really good friends. And they're, they're like one of the better pop punk bands in my opinion like some of their songs are really really great and some of them to me are just eh but uh-huh. you know they have a lot of material and they put out a lot of stuff and I always like more of their their faster aggressive and less melodic and slow songs right. but that's just what I always liked yeah. the whole time and they were really good at that like they have some songs that are just bitching especially live like yeah. live they got so much energy and they're I mean dude it's cool that Mike's gotta be a punk his whole life like that's yeah. what he does for a living is just be a punk guy like that's pretty freaking awesome yeah it's cool he's still a punk guy somebody. doing it 20 no, years yeah, later yeah he is he's great he's, yeah. he's really nice but um and, and I, I respect that they've worked so hard and done their thing and it's pretty cool because they had a lot of odds against them too you know they were little kids playing pop punk from a small podunk town in the middle of nowhere that nobody in the scene liked and because they were playing pop punk instead of like crust punk and hardcore punk so all the punks were like eh, they're too poppy but yet all the young kids who were into um you know, Green Day and Rancid, because they were just getting real popular at those same times where um, right. they were all into it. And so, but all the real punks that those were the people that I knew mostly because I grew up in it. Yeah. Like, it was, was, was this band MXPX, they're just a bunch of posers and blah, blah, blah. They're not, they weren't freaking posers. No. They never were. They, yeah. they, they were a kick ass punk band. They, you know, played really. They played melodically and played well. They yeah. were tight. From you know, they used to be sloppy, but you know, they started getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And 
They're just a pro band. And that's the way that it goes. The Chick it. Magnet was on the Billboard charts, right? I mean, it was up Probably. there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, back but, in the day. But, you know, that was a different, that was the peak of punk rock for being mainstream. Right. That's, those days are done. There's not, you're not going to hear a rancid single on the radio on their next record. You'll still hear yeah. Green Day. Um, you know, like it's coming back a little bit. You went to a punk show the other night on Tuesday, right? Yeah. Saw Haunted yeah. Horses and. Uh, yeah, but I don't, I don't know. How, I don't know if it's coming back, it's like but goth, something. More, it was way more goth yeah. than it was punk, but it was, it's kind of post punk, goth, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's a little, little modern. Haunted Horses is more kind of. like a. They're an industrial band. It's, it, it, it seemed. I thought yeah. they were more punk because they sound pretty punk, but there was not a guitar player. It was keyboards. Yeah, oh. they had keyboards, and okay. it was freaking awesome though because they yeah. had loopers and like it, like it would. It was the drummer's the badass. That that's the best band in Seattle right now. Haunted, oh, yeah. Haunted Horses. This is for everyone from Jeff Suffering <laughs> endorsing Haunted Horses. They're the best band in the Pacific Northwest right nice. now. Nice. Right. I think probably on the whole West Coast. I'm giving them a big deal right now. Well, there must be. There's, there's quite a few, but they're the best band in Seattle. They're hey. hands down. They were amazing. I'm glad. I, it was the first time I saw them. But this band from L.A. opened up called um, Second Still, and they nailed, dialed in the old uh, old bass tones from the Cure and Susie and the Banshees, like the flanged goth bass that, uh, that yeah. actually doesn't sound corny. That dude has it dialed in. It's perfect. It was like drum machine, uh, female vocals, uh, and guitar and, and bass. And sounds like totally like Cocktoo Twins and Susie. Yeah. They were freaking awesome. Nice. They were great because they weren't... Uh, I don't know if this is like fourth generation goth now or whatever, but they're starting <laughs> right. to get back to the cool roots. Yeah. And instead of being metal influenced, it, it sounds like there's a whole new wave of it that's actually influenced by punk. Yeah. And so maybe we could like actually make Seattle punk, punk again. No. <laughs> Come on, Jeff. That will you gotta not have happen. hope. You gotta have hope, man. No, that, 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 it'll take a while before there's a. Uh, these bands nobody's gonna care about. But that band, Second Still from LA, they were great. And then um, the last band was uh, really good too, the headliner. They were called uh, um, Cold Showers. And they were Cold also showers. from LA. They, it was their headlining tour, and Second Still was with them. And Cold Showers are pretty good. They, uh, they're a little more, everything was sequenced and a little more. Uh, this drum machine, guitar, bass, and vocals too, but um, they had a kind of a little bit of. The singer reminds me of Tom Ellard of Severed Heads, which is an industrial band from, from Australia. Kind of reminds me of Tom Ellard meets Andrew Eldrick from Sisters of Mercy, but his voice wasn't deep. And then. Um, that was which was interesting, right? Because Tom Ellard's falsetto-y, and I don't know how I, it just those things came to mind. But the music was kind of a it's pretty unique, actually. It was kind of curish a little bit, but um, way different. I mean, it was a lot of sequence stuff and big keyboards that kind of was new wavy. But there's a little bit of you could tell these people listen grew up listening to punk and goth, so right. it was pretty cool. Yeah. They were good. It was a really great show. And I missed it. Yeah. I was You invited me to come out and I'm yeah. like I'm like being a pussy going, I gotta get up at the butt crack of dawn. Well I didn't have to get 5 up at the butt crack of dawn, <laughs> but maybe the butt hole of dawn. So not quite as early. Where are you at? 
spiritually, Jeff? How is your relationship with Christ? Well, let's ask the Christian questions now. Well, that's that's his. Run a theology show. He can judge that relationship so much better than me. So yeah, I don't I don't need to worry about it. He, I think he's got it covered. All right, you're just here. I think I think Christ has my relationship with Him covered. You don't need a church. You're not going to church right now. Nope, not right now. Yeah. Um, I really like the Orthodox Church, but um, the theology aspects and the a lot of some of the dogma I'm pretty down with. Some of it I'm not. I just don't like their tradition really. Like, yeah. I don't like that. There's no women priests. There's no. I mean, some of that they they would obviously they would say you know most of their stuff they read the Bible and they're the ones who canonized it and they read it in a way that's um, much more full of story and allegory and metaphor and ambiguity and mystery. Yeah, I love that about them. Yeah, me too. I don't like I don't like the bells and smells. To be honest, I don't like the ritual. I like most of the ritual. Do you? I really love it. I find it beautiful. And it, but it freaks tra- me the out. The traditions I don't like are the sort of unspoken ones, or just the the, the church authority. Theirs is better than most. Yeah. But some of the weird things, you know, just women and nuns in that church, like there is. It's just too weird. Like I don't, I don't know any convents. In the Orthodox Church, I haven't really looked into it that much. I know monasteries, but um, I don't know. I just know that there's not, um, you know, the one I was going to. All the women wear head coverings and skirts on Sunday. And why? Like, yeah. There's nothing, in my opinion, that needs to hold on to a tradition like that. Right. But you know, that's just me not understanding. So those things bothered me. That was about it. I went there for like a, a year, on and off for a year. Okay. A lot of time spent on, but um. And it resonated with your soul for a while, and then the honeymoon was over. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't really stick, and I don't. I, yeah. I still, you know, I, I'm an anarchist, right? Like mm-hmm. the hierarchy is a big bother, something for me, and the. I'm. I'm a. I don't know if I know what it means to be a feminist anymore, but I think I, I think I'm one. I would like to think I'm one too, but then I would probably not be one as soon as I said I was one. Yeah, I don't know. I used to say that <laughs> right? I was for a while. Yeah, I believe in it. In the equality part. Yeah, I believe in equality for all people. Yeah. Um. Regardless of your sex, regardless of your sexual orientation, your gender, your um, yeah, all of that. like your race, your religion. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't. Those things aren't what it means to be human. Right. Those are an aspect of personal belief, which is part of something that it means to be human. Yeah. But that's not what it means to be human. Right. You, you're an image bearer of God, and. None of us really actually know what it means to be human other than to exist right now, in the moment, now, now. Right. Like, I don't exist any time but now. That's exactly. It. So if that's what it means to be created in the image of God, then I exist now with whoever I'm with. That's it. And yeah. my existing now is just as valid as anybody else's existing now. Um, I'm so... Yeah. Me too. I mean, that's been a big part of my personal philosophy is 
And it comes from recovery. It goes all the way back to recovery groups where just dig, taking my life in 24-hour increments. Or, or you know, like you're saying the whole, like we're having this conversation now. Like this is a, this is a thing we're doing right now. Yeah. And every moment is precious. And once you get outside that moment, that's where the anxiety happens. Right, start future tripping. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, or 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 hating yourself for your past, or you know, and and Christianity banks a lot on that. A lot of religion banks on that. Like the more guilty I can get you to feel, maybe the more you'll be invested in our thing. Yeah, our brand, whatever that brand of of religion is. Yeah, and that's where I'm struggling now is is seeing organized and not just organized religion because even unorganized religion. Has a brand, you know? Yes. <laughs> it does. Yeah. You distracted by Quiet Riot as I am? <laughs> it's Quiet Riot playing in the background. Yes. Come on, feel the noise. So how how do you how do you ratify that with your family? Because you got young, you got a, a daughter, a teenager. You know, you got a couple going kids. to church. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing uh, with your kids growing up. Because you grew up Christian. Do you feel like it? Do you feel like it, it maybe influenced you to not? They're Christians. Okay. They live in my house. Right. But do you, do you feel like the whole going to church and being? Did, were you forced to go to church at all, or Sometimes, did your parents make you go to church? Sometimes, some yeah. Sundays, but not, not often. That's some of the questions people are asking. Like, do Sometimes I make? Do I force my kids to come to church? I didn't. I don't. Make, if God I didn't loves them, for a while. if God loves them, if God's real and He loves them, then it's not contingent upon them. I, I believe in. I don't believe in a God that's everything's contingent on my choice. I just think that's 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 not a very powerful God. That's right. not a, like, if if God gives me free will and freedom and gives me the ability to choose what I want to do today and to, uh, that, that has nothing to do with him saving me and if I'm I don't I don't know that I'm reformed but some of the things I really liked was like the idea of predestination like but not in the way that you're predestined to heaven or hell I like it much in a like everyone's predestined to be yeah. with God yeah like the only reason you wouldn't be with God is if you get there and you decide that you don't want to be with God yeah and then there's a nice place down the street where you can go hang out outside of the gates of the city yeah. I don't. I don't think. I, I think he's certainly big enough to save everyone. Like in that way, I'm a universalist. Like salvation isn't even salvation. Like in the Orthodox Church, there's not salvation. When you die, there's salvation because you're taken from this this place that causes so much pain and horror to eternal life of bliss and worship of God. In their opinion, through liturgical expression, right? Forever. Yeah. And th- that's beautiful. And you don't like that ritual, but you know, like that probably isn't. That would be a shitty place for you to be if that was your if Orthodox heaven was your heaven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, but, but the, the, it's still the idea. It's like you're eternally with God, performing the, you know, like divine liturgy and, and forever. Right. And it's gorgeous. You're with God's people, singing to Him, taking communion, eating and drinking, participating in the bread of life. To, to, to the Orthodox, that's gorgeous. So, that's the kind of idea that I like, is something that's just eternally present. Right. Enraptured by, um, well, well, essentially, like, 
some combo of desire and fulfillment, like fully realized human beings and enlightened and enraptured by God, whatever that means, right. however that looks, like that's for us. If that's if that's like God is God is not going to be contained. In human minds and imaginations, which is what we do with this, the Bible. Exactly. And we don't need to do that. It's bigger than that. And if Christ was incarnate, God and truly rectified and reconciled everything, it's like then, explain then it's reconciled the internet to your dog, dog, right? Yeah. yeah so my kids need to know um, what it what it means to love and respect others and what it means to make good decisions yeah and what it means to do life the way the way it is now too I think there's a lot of my Christianity in the past that was trying to escape suffering a lot or look to heaven as a way out and maybe some of that you know predestination stuff I used to hate predestination because I was I was I would go mow my grandma's lawn and remember she brought me to uh, to this Calvinist guy that was speaking at her church and, and he and I'd been the night before I just partied myself out I mean I was high most of the time I was high when I showed up at my grandma's house to mow the lawn I needed gas money to get back to like North Marysville from Seattle you know so I was mowing my grandma's lawn she goes oh by the way there's this guy speaking and you need to come to this church service so it was sort of like okay I'll pay you to mow my lawn but you're going to come to church afterwards and this dude just you know told this story about predestination where I was sitting there and I had this dark aha moment like oh I was never getting it in the first place right like he explained this whole kind of thing but now pulling it back around now something Nietzsche said and I heard this Rollins was talking about this Nietzsche said what if a demon came down and cursed you to live the same life over and over again how would you throw that back in his face and I think for me it would be to live it differently to not to not not just do the same things over and over again like it's a morality thing but to have a different attitude towards it and that that would change its outcome does that make sense? Sure, yeah. Like being mindful of every moment, you know, like you were talking about earlier. That would that would just change the whole way the ripple effect kind of rolled out, you know. Um, yeah, dude. So, getting a little deep towards the end. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Sounds like it. After a couple of beers in, but any uh, any closing thoughts, Jeff? Closing thoughts. We didn't even get to dry bones or rafted in monkeys much after the beginning, <laughs> or suffering in the hideous thieves. We didn't touch on any of that. Yeah, let's do that. Are you sure? Yeah. And that will conclude part one of my conversation with Jeff Becker on the Punk Theology Podcast. Hey, hit that subscribe button. You don't want to miss part two. You just don't. Right? Subscribe. And hey, listen, Jeff is letting me share with you, punk theology listeners, some full tracks from Suffering and the Hideous Thieves. That's Jeff Suffering and the Hideous Thieves. The song is called Believe, putting a cherry on top of this here episode. Till next time, 
this is Rush Shaw out. Thank you for listening to Punk Allergy. Here, enjoy some suffering in the hideous thieves. This track is called Believe. For listening to Punk Theology. Don't forget to subscribe. Like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound? Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. <coughs>